the fact that we are sitting here today is, is fantastic. And you know that next week is, uh, I understand, daylight savings, yes? Please remember that. So, I don't know, is church starting an hour earlier or later? It's an hour earlier. So, you might turn up here and I go, Amen! <laughs> it's happened to us before. It's happened in New Zealand once. Um, it, it is before. I have my sermon before people turn up. Yes, because the, the watch goes back. But praise the Lord, we've got that long afternoons coming now with great sun and beaches and all of those things. I'm telling you honestly, we're living in a fantastic place. Australia is good. I've been to Europe, I've been to Asian countries. Oh, we're, in, we're in a good place. God is good to us. You've got to be so thankful for what we've got. Be content with such as you have. Yes? Are you here this morning to hear the Word of God? I want to talk to you this morning about grace and truth. Grace and truth. As we continue in our study going through the book of John, and as we look at how Jesus reacts to these crowds there in John chapter 6. It's a long chapter. We've been busy with it for quite some time now. But there are so many things. I can honestly stay busy in the book of John chapter 6 for another five to six weeks. There are so many important theological topics in that passage there. Things that he addresses. This morning I want to just bring your attention to these two words here. Grace and truth. As seen in that passage. And that's going to complete for us today John chapter 6. Next week I'll start, God willing, with John chapter 7. But like I say, we can come back to this passage again, to this chapter. Let's read from verse 41, the whole chapter, and then I'll come back and talk to you about grace and truth. First, before we do that, you don't have to open up there, but uh, this morning as I prayed, I came across the scripture verse which I want to read to you. Psalm 119, one of my favorite psalms. And in verse 73, I want you to hear what the word of the Lord says. It says, your hands have made me and fashioned me. Think about that. Your hands have made me and fashioned me. Who's made you? He made you. He fashioned you. Isn't it wonderful to know that you were made by Him? You say, but I am the result of my mum and my dad. Yes, I get that. That is procreation. But eventually, He fashioned you and He made you. How wonderful is that? Whenever, whenever you come in a situation that you feel that you are not worthy, whenever you come in a situation that people make you feel that you are not worthy, and they want to push you down, remember this verse this morning. Psalm 119 verse 73, write it down. Put it to memory. He says, your hands have made me and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. You know, I can preach a whole sermon just on that verse. A whole sermon. There is so much depth in that verse. He made you and He fashioned you. For what reason? According to this verse, is to get the knowledge of Him. That is why He made you, to get the knowledge of Him. As a young person, you grow up, you go through your life, things happen to you, which is foreseen and unforeseen, circumstances which you can control and which you cannot control. All of those things, in my years, getting close to 50 years now, I know I look very young, thank you, praise the Lord for that, but in my years, if I look back upon the years upon this earth, there is one thing that I come to the realization, and that is that He fashioned me and He made me for one thing. As this verse says there, Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. Paul writes it this way in Ephesians. He says, That I may know you more and know you better. And whenever we come to the Word of God, whenever we listen to a sermon, my prayer is, Lord, give me the understanding to know you more. 
because that is going to change my life so that I can have an impact upon the world that I'm living in. That is not a selfish way of looking at it. What impact have you got on the world you're living in? What impact? And you have to have an impact upon it. So that's just a verse this morning that the Lord blessed me when I was praying before the service. And I want to invite everybody, if you come a little bit earlier on, come and pray with me before we come into church. We need to become a church of prayer, yes? Praise the Lord. Now let's open up our Bible in John chapter 6 verse 41. And we're going to read it right through to the end of that chapter as I'm going to come back then. The Jews then complained about him. This is John 6 verse 41. Because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. They complained about this. He says these words and then they complain. But we'll see why they complain. And they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he says, I have come down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered and said to them, Do not murmur amongst yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sends me draws him, and I will raise him up in the last day. Therein lies a big, big, big theological discussion point. No one can come to the Father unless he is drawn. So don't come and say that I've made the decision to come. He draws you and then you come. Verse 45, it is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. And, and notice on the words, heard and learned from the Father. Therein lies another big theological discussion. I'm just pointing these things out to you, because the Word of God is much deeper than you think. That's why I get so excited about it. I found a book which I can never stop reading. It continues on and on. Which they have heard, the word says there, and which they've learned from the Father comes to me. The purpose why you come to church is to learn from the Father. It will enrich your spiritual life. It will enrich your relationship with Him if you come every Sunday and learn from Him. It doesn't have to be through my mouth, but listen to sermons, biblical sermons, and you will learn and you will have a richer relationship with Him. It's not me saying it, the words is right in front of you. And they shall all be taught by God, it says in that verse. Look at verse 46. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God, he has seen the Father. Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. And then in verse 48 he says, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. This is one of the first of seven I am's he's going to use in the Gospel of John. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which comes down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. And I want to shout, Hallelujah! Praise the Lord! So wonderful is the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Jews therefore quarreled amongst themselves. Remember they murmured? Now they quarrel. You see, that is when you walk away from Christ. You start with the murmuring. I say always, stay away from the murmurers. Did I say that word right? I don't care. You don't understand what I say. And then they quarreled amongst themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, notice that, the Son of Man, and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up in the last day. The question this morning to you is, have you eaten and have you drink? Have you eaten His flesh and have you drink His blood? 
Be careful that you do not think like these people thought. Wow, I'm not a cannibal. I'm not going to eat the flesh and the blood. He was talking in a spiritual sense. The question to you this morning is, are you born again? Because that's what it initially refers to. Have you eaten and drink? Are you born again? If not, I've got bad news for you this morning. If you are not born again, you will not have eternal life with our Lord and Jesus Christ and with God the Father. You will not. That's the reality of it. Verse 56, He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. And again, within that lies a big theological discussion we can have. As the living Father sends me, look at this, the living Father. Our Father is the living God. Who says hallelujah to that? Who says amen to that? He's not dead. We're not serving a dead God. I walk through Rome. I see all these statues. But they are all dead. And I was thinking about Paul when he walked through Athens and he saw all these statues of, of God, of Zeus and all of these things. But they're all kaput. You know what kaput means? They're all dead. There's no life in them. But I'm serving a living God. Hallelujah. I'm serving a living God, I say this morning. One who's alive. And you know, somebody who's alive gives life. Yes? And somebody who's dead gives? No dead. He gives nothing. He cannot give you anything. He's alive. He's alive. He says it in that verse, and I love it so much. He says, as the living Father, this is Jesus' words Himself, sent me, and I live because of the Father. Listen to me this morning. You and I live because of the Father. It's not just your heartbeat that keeps you going. We can give you a pacemaker, but the pacemaker, eventually the batteries will run out. But you and I live because of the Father. But this is the thing He wants us to live eternally. Have you made and come to the cross of Christ? He says there, As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so He who feeds on me will live because of me. Life is in Christ. True life is in Christ. Listen to me. Don't search for things that will give you life. Life is in Christ. Listen to me. I don't think you listen carefully. Do not search for things in life that will make you feel alive. They will not give you life. True life is in Christ. Uh, I mean, I say it in English. I can say it in Afrikaans. I'll try in French. I'll mess it up. I'll do, try a little bit of German. But the English, and it says it right there, there's life in Christ. Young people search for Christ. Mid-age people like me search for Christ. <laughs> All these people search for Christ. There's life in Him. And that life gives life. Verse 58, This is the bread which come down from heaven. Not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. You eat this bread will live forever. These things He said in the synagogue as He taught in Capernaum. So most probably He started this conversation as He was on His way to the synagogue. Remember, we've got a long chapter here. And as he came out of the boat, those people came running to him. He said, how did you get here? He starts talking to them about this, and he ends up in the synagogue. Verse 60, therefore many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying, who can understand this? And that encapsulates what's happening in the world today. This is why people don't come to church. Why? Because it's a hard saying. You proclaim Jesus Christ to people, and what do they say? It's too hard for me. You tell that to young people, and they say, no, 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 I still want to live my life before I come. It's too hard to be a Christian. Have you heard this before? Look, this is nothing new. It's happened in Jesus' day Himself. The difference is here now I stand as a man, ordained by Christ to preach to you the Word. There He was Himself. I hear so many people, they say, oh, if Jesus Himself can just talk to me and I can hear His voice. Well, He's talking to them. And they didn't listen. It was too hard for them. Who can understand it? 
I preach the Word and I get excited about this and I, I really get into the Word and people come afterwards and they say, why do you get so excited about it? I can't understand it, brother. I understand that they can't understand. But you see, in verse 30, uh, 60, it shows us that 61, he says, when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, does this offend you? What then if I should see, if, if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life, the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. The words which he speak is spirit and they are life. Think about that. The words that Jesus Christ speak is spirit and they are life. The Word of God brings life. It doesn't kill. And when we preach it, we need to preach it to bring life. I'm going to say that again. When we preach it, we need to preach it so that it brings life and not bondage under the law again. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. The truth shall set you free. These are all words encapsulated in the Word of God to give to you and me liberty. To give to you and me life. It's the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says it Himself. He says it there. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. And therein lies the problem. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray Him. And He said, Therefore I've said to you that no one can come to Me unless it has been granted to Him by the Father. So sorry for those people who say, I'll wait till my deathbed. What if it wasn't granted on the deathbed? I'm just asking the question. You make of it what you want. But I say, as the word says, do not tarry. You know what tarry means? Do not wait. But now, as it says in Isaiah, let's reason together. Though your sins were like scarlet and red like crimson, He can wash it, wash it white than snow. Come now, while the time is good. It's so clear, it's so, you know, I can just read the word. He says, no one can come, verse 66, from that time many of his disciples went back and work, walk with him no more. That is one of the saddest verses in the Bible. Many of his disciples went away. He's not talking about the world, he's talking about the people who came to him. Because, as we saw in previous messages, they were looking for the food that will fill the belly. What can Jesus do for me? What can Jesus give me? What can Jesus solve for me? Who's the center point of that? Me, 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 me. It's not what He can do for you. It's who He is in your life that matters. And here it's clear. And then in verse 67, He says, Then Jesus said to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? Do you want to go away? The question is out there today. But Simon Peter answered him and said, Lord, whom shall we, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. I'm bringing you this morning the words of eternal life. The words of life. The words of Christ. Not my thoughts. Not thoughts of somebody else. Not words that make you sound clever, but the words of eternal life, the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and one of you is a devil? Again, within that is a whole discussion we can have and a whole sermon we can preach about that. You, you know, he spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, who was, for it was he who would betray him, being one of the twelve. This man walked with Jesus. He was one of the disciples. He preached. 
I believe if you went to the cities where he preached or the towns where he preached and you named the name Judas Iscariot, they would say, Oh, a man of God! You should hear him preach. You should hear him pray. You see, but on the outward he looked fine, but the heart was where the problem was. God is not looking for the outward. This is why Paul warns us, he says, test every spirit. He doesn't say test every person whether he's got a nice jacket on, whether he looks fine, whether he says hallelujah in the right way, or he says amen with power. He doesn't say that. Whether he sounds equivalent or he sounds... No, no, no. He says test every spirit. The spirit's in the inside. Here's a man, Judas Iscariot, I'm not preaching about him today, maybe another time, but here's a man who looked on the outside perfect. Yet, Jesus says here, he knew who was going to betray him. One is a devil. One is a devil. I know I might get a few questions afterwards. Happy to go to the Word. So there is this passage. But I want you now to go back to John chapter 1 verse 17 as I'm going to use this to explain to you grace and truth this morning. Look at John chapter 1 verse 17. In fact, as you open up in your Bibles, and I haven't got it on the board, but I'm just going to read it out of my Bible, I want you to have a look at verse 14. Because grace and truth is not a new concept for us. It's not new. It says in John chapter 1 verse 14, and the word, who knows what is that word? It is Jesus. John chapter 1 verse 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And here in verse 14 he tells us that that word, which was Jesus, became flesh. That's what it says. Okay? He says in verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. Who's that? Jesus. And we beheld His glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father. Now look at the next words in your Bible. Full of what? Grace. Full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. The Old Testament mentions it as mercy and truth. Mercy and truth. Here he says He's full of grace and full of truth. Now look down at verse 17. He says in verse 17, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. You see that? The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So let's look at verse 17, as you think what we just went through in chapter 6. He says, For the law was given through Moses. Now what did the law do? It came through Moses. Yes? And what is the law? The law is a tutor. A tutor. What is a tutor? It's a schoolmaster. It's a teacher. The law was a shadow of a substance to come. I'll explain. It was a tutor. Galatians chapter 3 verse 24. Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. The law was a tutor to bring us to Christ. A teacher. The law shows you that you are not good enough. And you need somebody who is good enough. And the only one who is good enough is our Lord Jesus Christ. That law in the Old Testament came through Moses, he says. It is amazing to me today, dear friends, that a lot of still people still want this tutor. It's amazing. Here is Christ giving us freedom in grace, but people still want to hold on to law. They still want a teacher. They still want somebody to come and tell them, you've done wrong. You've done wrong. Oh, what have you done now? Oh, you can't do that. Oh, you can't do that. Why do you do this? It's amazing. I find it fascinating. How people, in some preachings today, be careful. They still want to pull you under the law. I'm the pastor and I'm going to tell you what is right and wrong. Yes, I can preach what the Word says, but look, eventually the Spirit is freedom and the Spirit, which is the Holy Spirit, will be your tutor. Not the law. 
And watch out for people who want to bind you under their laws. <laughs> Let me explain. I read this passage and I go, this is my interpretation. You're not allowed to do this, 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 this and that. And what do they do? You come under them and they tell you, you're not allowed to do this, 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 this and that. Because of this passage and that's how I interpret it. And I heard from God that that is true. And who are you to talk against God? Watch out, people. I'm preaching freedom. I'm preaching a relationship. I'm not going to bound you under law. It's amazing. It's amazing. You know, law came through Moses, it says. Still, there are a lot of people today, they want people control. They want to control people. And they will preach this law. Secondly, the law works wrath. Yes? Romans chapter 4 verse 15, he says, Because the law brings about wrath, for where there is no law, there is no transgression. It's amazing. If you break a law, what happens? There's wrath. I mean, the, 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 the speed law of this road is 80 kilometers an hour. If you go 90, the wrath of the government will come upon you. They're going to fine you. And in my family, I'm the one who hasn't got the most fines. I'm just mentioning it there. Just throw it out there. I haven't experienced that wrath. <laughs> but when you have a law and you break the law, it's got to be punished. There's wrath. Listen, if you've got a law and somebody comes into your house and breaks that law, what do you want? You want to get back. And that's what the law does. It brings forth wrath. And it's amazing how many people still these days want to live under guilty feelings. I've dealt with a lady in New Zealand a while ago, years ago. And, and I gave her the scripture verses. She was sitting with guilt of the past upon her life. It was chewing her up. She couldn't forget about these things. She told me things that happened ten years ago as if it happened yesterday. And she sat with that guilty. I showed her the path of freedom in, the, in, in, in Christ. And in the end, she said, no, no, I can't do that. I need to hold on to these guilty feelings. People like to do that. It's amazing. I don't know why. And then also the law made nothing perfect. Have you noticed that? Hebrews chapter 7 verse 19, For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is a bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. You see, if you come to people who, who preach to you law, who wants to have control over you, you will never be good enough. There's always one more thing where you fall short. Always. I've noticed it. I talk out of experience. If it's not this little thing which you've got to abide under the law, then you do that and it's perfect. Then they say, oh, but listen, brother, if you don't pray four o'clock in the morning, then God won't hear your prayers. And then we start praying four o'clock in the morning. We'll be here, I'll be here tomorrow morning, four o'clock. Who's going to be here? <laughs> no, I enjoy my sleep too much. God knows. But I'll be awake a little bit later and talk to God and spend time with Him. Watch out for that. And it's amazing how people fall for this. And you not, not only uh, does it uh, make nothing perfect, it cannot be justified by the law. One cannot be justified by the law. It brings justice. And the, the requirement of breaking it is judgment. So that's the law that came through Moses. And in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus said, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy it, but to fulfill the law. So watch out for those people who say, You can throw the Bible away now, because there's no law. No, no, there's still law. But we are abiding through the law in the name of Jesus Christ now. That's the difference. Look, you cannot obey the law in yourself, but you can through Christ. You can through Christ. You say, how did he do that? Well, look at the second part of verse 17. He says, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace and truth versus the law. I want to present to you grace and truth in Jesus Christ this morning. Grace comes from the Greek word charis, which means it is getting something we did not deserve. We got something we did not deserve. 
You know, if, if it's like uh, you do not work and somebody comes and pay you a wage for something you didn't do, that's grace. That's charity. That's where the word charity comes from. And this is what he gives us. The second part there is uh, truth. So he, his ministry is a ministry of grace and truth. You cannot have the one without the other. It works together. Grace, charity and truth. You see, there's three volumes of truth in the Bible. I don't know whether you've noticed it. The first volume is the Word. The Word, according to John chapter 17, 17, it says, Sanctify them by your Word. Your Word is truth. Listen, my friend, if you are looking for truth, don't listen to people these days who write books. Go to the Word of God. There's a whole volume of truth. And let me tell you one thing about this. It's not a secret. It's out there, okay? All of this points to Jesus Christ. And that's why the second volume of truth is the Son. The Son. If you look, and it will consume your whole life, ask me. It's been quite some time for me now. And it's a consuming word, the truth. Because you find one thread and you start pulling on that thread and what happens? It becomes bigger and bigger and it becomes a rope. And out of the rope is many more threads. You start pulling on it and it's all full of truth pointing towards Christ. Son. The second volume of truth is the Son. John chapter 14, 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The third volume of truth is the Spirit. 1 John chapter 5 verse 6, This is He who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not only by water, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who bears witness, because the Spirit is truth. Within those three is a whole volume of truth. You will find the truth about your life in all of those volumes. Written in, listen, with red blood of Christ. How wonderful is that? How wonderful. So our Lord's ministry is a ministry of grace and of truth. So our lives need to be lives of grace and truth. Yes? If you give your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, you belong to Him. Then you become a life of grace and truth. You receive something which you did not deserve, so you give something away which they did not deserve. Yes? Otherwise, it's selfishness. And with that comes truth. Live a life of truth. That's all the Father wants from you. Live a life of truth. His ministry is a life. Listen, grace. Let's think about the grace in chapter 6. He fed the 5,000 people. Did they deserve it? Come on. Did they pay for it? This is how we deserve it, isn't it? We work a wage pay. We take the money. We buy food to eat. Now, what does the world today say? If you don't work, you don't eat. You have to deserve. That's not grace. He comes. They're all sitting around there and he's got compassion for them. And then he says, what do we have? They bring it, he prays and he multiplies the bread and the fish. And he gives it to them. That's grace. Remember when he walked on the water? They were in the middle of their troubles. Did they deserve him to come? No. They got on the boat. Yes, it was according to what he said. But they were struggling away in their circumstances. But by his grace he came to them. That's grace. And now he's preaching to them the truth. From verse 22 onwards until what we finished reading, he was preaching to them. Grace and truth goes together. You cannot separate them. Grace and truth. And then we get the result in verse 66 onwards. Some turned away and some stayed with him. Now you see the problem today is, in the church, people want grace, 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 but they don't want to face the truth. You start preaching the truth from the pulpit and the grace seekers run away. That's how it is. Don't take my word for it. It's right there in the passage we are looking at. They ate... The grace was fantastic, 
And now they run away. And you know how I see it? This is the people who come to God when they're in trouble. Oh Lord, I want your grace. Lord, I need your help. Oh please, Lord, where are you? If only you do this now, I'll serve you for the rest of my life. Oh Lord, we need your grace. And then he gives his grace. And what happens? You start preaching the truth in their lives and they disappear. I'm not asking you this morning. I'm preaching this out of experience and I'm standing on the word of God. God is good for you and for me. To this day, He is good. He's gracious to everyone sitting in this place today. His goodness. Listen, if I start talking about the goodness of God in your life, man, that you don't turn to God and say, Father, please forgive me that I turn my back on you is amazing to me. He is so good to us. Count your blessings. Count them one by one. He is blessing us. Oh, you don't know my life. You don't know the struggles I'm going through. Look away from the struggles and see the grace of God upon your life. Oh, Job. You remember Job? Sitting there with the sauce and everything and his friends come and say, Oh, Job, he's such a terrible pity party. And they were pity partying around and all terrible. It's when his circumstances changed is when he started praying for his friends. Have you noticed? Go and read Job again. When he took the focus away from his own problems and started focusing on others, his circumstances changed. You see, grace and truth, you can't separate it. People are sitting in churches today and they've got grace and they love the grace. But if you start preaching, look, we sang the words of the blood this morning. Everybody in this place sang it, isn't it? The power of the blood. I am as the Lord is my witness, going to start preaching the blood of Christ, a sermon on the blood of Christ. It may offend you, it may not. But if it wasn't for the blood, you and I can just go now. Just, you are free to go now to the beach and go enjoy your life. Live and be merry, for tomorrow you die. We need to preach about, and in this place we'll preach about hell, a literal hell, where people, if you do not come to Christ, go. Grace and truth. They could handle the grace, but they couldn't handle the truth. They couldn't handle it when it came to them. I better hurry on. I've got a few minutes over. So let's quickly go through this and see how this grace and truth applied to them. They complained about him. Why? Because he said he came down from heaven. He came down from heaven. That really shook their world. And then we see that three times before this, he did tell them that. In John chapter 6.33, he says, For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven. But this is the thing. They only saw this part, and that offended them. But they didn't see what he gave life to the world. And this is how people will come into the church even today. They will see the two sides, but one will focus on the one which offends, but you see on the other side it gives life freedom. Where the truth is, there is liberty. Oh, the Spirit of God is. And the truth shall set you free. They were so... He came down from heaven and they started this conversation with him about the manna. The second part, is, he says, for I came down from heaven. And again, they were offended by that. But he talks about, not my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. What was the will of the Father to send Jesus? Come on, who knows? To die on the cross for our sins. To die on the cross. And it is fascinating, dear friends. It's fascinating that when you read the Gospels, all the other Gospels talks about the communion table. But not John. Have you noticed? John doesn't write anything about the communion table. The others do. The others were there. John was there. He could have written about it. He could have written Jesus sat down and he broke the bread and he said, like the others did, but he didn't. This is the passage that relates to the communion table. Much more deeper, much more intense than the other Gospels. Because he actually gave... He gave the meaning to what's going on in the other Gospels. When he broke the bread, what it meant. And this is what he said then. You see, they missed when he said in John chapter 6, 27, that the Son of Man, the Son of Man, you remember that title? We've, we've discussed it in this church. 
The title Son of Man is the title that Jesus chooses for himself most than any other title. And that means the connection between heaven and earth. He is that connection. You remember when I said the philosophers were looking and saying heaven is on its own and earth is on its own and there's no connection? He came and he said the Son of Man, the title which he uses, more than Son of God, more than Jesus Christ, the Son of Man is that connection. They should have got that, but they didn't. And here is the problem that pushes them down that way. And then they go on in this discussion. Let me just quickly show this to you. They talk about the manna from the Old Testament. And what does the word manna mean? It means, what is this in Hebrew? In the Old Testament, when they said he rained down manna, the Hebrew word means, what is this? And it's so fascinating when you bring the Old and the New Testament together. What is this thing? Jesus say, I am this. That's what he says here. They say, our fathers ate manna. Moses got manna from heaven. He says, hey, the, even the meaning of that, and every day they had to go and bow down. It was small little bread cakes on the ground. They had to bend their knees and go down to pick up what is this. Imagine that. We're not going to have steak for dinner tonight. We're going to bow down on your knees and pick up what is this. Somebody's going to sit around the table and eat and go, what is this? What is this? He comes here in the New Testament and he says, the Son of Man, the link between heaven, this is this. Can you see the connection? When I get excited about it, and I'm not going to ask permission to get excited, because this is so, so fundamental to understand. They stand there and I think they go, oh, oh, like a lot of people today do. But it is fascinating to see the connection here. He says, I am this. He says it for him plainly in verse 49. Your fathers ate the manna. What is this? In the wilderness. And are dead. You see, the what is this can't sustain you. But the I am this will sustain you. The what is this, the manna was the shadow, and the I am this is the substance. Now, I don't know about you, but when I sit down to eat, I want substance. I don't want a shadow. I want to taste the substance. And he tells them here, he says... This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread. You see, I am the substance. I am the this which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever, and the bread shall give, I shall give is my flesh. I am this, he says. I am this. And they... Uh, they couldn't get it. Jesus said to them, Moses, certainly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Now, I just want to throw it out here because the Roman Catholic Church uses this passage. This passage. Because they say, if the priest comes and gives you the, 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 um, the communion, they've got a little sift under, under the bread and so that he doesn't fall because that bread becomes literally Jesus Christ. You eat his flesh based on these words here. You eat him. You eat him. And there's two things about eating, which is really interesting. Uh, first of all, that's not true because he was talking here in the spirit. In the spirit, they were not supposed to eat his literal body. That's what they thought in the natural man. Paul says in, in, in Corinthians, he says, he says, the natural man cannot discern the things of the spirit because it is spiritually discerned. And that's what you need to understand in this passage. He wasn't talking about his flesh and bone. No, no, no. That was going to die on the cross. He was talking in a spiritual sense. We eat of him spiritually. It's interesting that when he talks about eat and drink, what happens when you eat a piece of meat? It becomes part of you. Have you thought of that? That cow. <laughs> it becomes part of you. The DNA of the cow goes into your body and becomes part of your DNA. Have you, have you thought about that? 
How more intimate could it become than eating something? It becomes you. And when you drink water, have you thought of it? It becomes part of you. You see, the word is so rich. They thought in a spiritual sense, oh, the taste of human flesh, ah, eat. No, no, no. When you eat and drink Jesus Christ spiritually, He becomes part of you. You are then called a Christian, a Christ follower. You see, this is what we do when we get born again. We eat and drink Him. And He becomes part of us. But today people want the grace, but they do not want to take the step to come to Him and say, I submit to you, I confess that I'm a sinner, and I confess that I need to be saved by you. That is the truth, but people want the grace. Now in the grace area, we have seeker-sensitive churches, seeker-sensitive preachers, they say, oh no, you're alright, just come along, you know, it's going to be fine, you're going to have your best days here, that is grace. No, 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 that means nothing without the truth. The truth is, you are a sinner, born a sinner, and you need a Savior. And you need to eat Him, and you need to drink Him. Otherwise, you have no eternal life. You are lost and condemned, listen to me. If this is going to shock you, let it shock you for the pit of hell, but more worse, the lake of fire. That's the truth. Eat Him, and drink Him. You can come to church as much as you want and live on the grace. But you will not be blessed until you accept the truth. It goes together. That was his ministry of grace and truth. Law came through Moses and the rest came through him. I'll go to the end. You see, from that time many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. It is too hard for some people to bear. You start preaching Christ and you start telling them to be saved, they throw all these excuses in front of your face. Oh, but I'm a good man, I'm doing good. I'm, I, you know, I, I, I'm not like the rest around me. I, I didn't do what they do. Have you seen my neighbour? Gosh, man. <laughs> if you preach me next to my neighbour, I'm a saint. But you know what your other neighbour says about you? <laughs> The same thing. (laughs) The truth is, we need to come to Him. That's the truth. You can't just live on grace. It's wonderful, the grace. Look, I'm I'm not cutting down on the grace of Christ. It's wonderful. But the truth will set you free, but it will also offend and then I'll leave you with this. When, when his disciples came to him and they said, he turned to them actually. They didn't come to him. He turned to them. He says, does this offend you? Do you also want to go away? Do you want to go away? Look, I'll tell you one thing here. I love this side of the ministry of Christ. He never had a controlling ministry. Look, he was Christ, he was the Messiah, but he did not have a controlling ministry. He didn't try to keep them there with nice words. He turned to them, he said, do you want to go, look, the door is open. Oh, well, translation, you've got your sandals on, the dust road is there, walk. Do you want to go away? I want to say something today. This doors of this church, Kingsway Canham Downs, the doors are open. I'm forcing no person, and I'm not in my life, going to try to force through preaching or law and anything, try to get a control over your life. It's not my work. In fact, I will run my life. I've got a family, I've got children. I will run my life to to the ground, try to control people. You can't. (laughs) Let me just say to you this. Do you know that the Bible compares us to sheep? Yes. How difficult is it to control a big uh, herd of sheep? You know, if you know your work, it's good. But your man, if sheep starts running in directions, it takes a lot of effort to bring them all back. It's not my work to control. I am following the shepherd. You know who's the shepherd? We're going to come to that. He says, I am the shepherd, the great shepherd. I'm a sheep like you. It's got to be a ministry of freedom, of grace.
And that's what he is. His ministry is a ministry of grace and truth. And he comes in, he says, do you also want to go away? But you know what, I love it. But Simon Peter comes to him, he says, and this, I love these words, he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? I want to suggest to you, you've got no place to go but Christ. Where will you go? To the Papa, the Pope? Forget it. He's a man like you and me. To a great preacher now, a televangelist? Forget it. To a guru? Forget it. Where shall you go? Tell me. You've got no way to go. You've got no way to go. Because he says, not just because of that, not just because I like you, you're a nice person, Jesus. Oh, it's so great hanging around you, man. The benefits, the friends' benefits is so great. You know, just hanging around. No, no, it's not all of that. He marks it, he says, because you have the words of eternal life. And also we've come to believe that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. A ministry of grace and truth. How is your life? Is it a life of grace and truth? That's all we ask. Not that we sin more and so that grace may abound, Paul says. No. His grace is great and sufficient for you. But also His truth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank You this morning for Your Word. I thank You, Father, for Your grace and Your truth. I thank You for Your Spirit, Lord. Father, you certainly spoke to me through this message. And I also pray for the hearts that you've spoken to this morning that you will enlighten, strengthen and encourage. If there's people sitting here this morning who's been touched by this, who's been convicted by this word, I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will do its perfect work. The Bible says, Lord, that we are your workmanship. Your workmanship. Father, I want to just say, Lord, do your work in us. Do your work, Father. I pray this in Jesus' name and we thank you for that again. And everybody say Amen. Praise the Lord. That's the word of the Lord this morning.